You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. I want to talk to you this morning uh, from God's Word uh, about patterns. I want to talk just a little bit about patterns. It's, uh, it's been on my mind and it's been on my heart for the last while. And one particular scripture that's been, that's been speaking to me, if you will. Uh, I read it a few months ago, and, but had cause to go back to it because I observed that there was a pattern attached to it. A few months ago, I was talking about, about two months ago, I was talking about Abraham. And how Abraham had defeated a, a guy called uh, Kedor Lamor. And he beat, he beat this guy, his long story short. And after defeating him, he refused to take a reward for it. Uh, and the Lord spoke to him and said, said, I'm actually going to be your reward, Abraham. I'm going to be the one who's going to look after you. Look up into the heavens and see the number of stars. That's how many descendants you'll have and so on and so forth. Uh, Many of you will be familiar with that. Remember, uh, Abraham was the primary patriarch. He was the first. He was the founder of the Jewish faith. And thus, uh, he is a forefather spiritually of ours. But I want to look at something that happened shortly after that event this morning. I want to see how it fits into a pattern. It fits into a pattern in the Bible and it fits into a pattern in our lives if we can pay attention to it and the important thing about patterns is they have a habit of repeating themselves like patterns that I have adopted in my life they have a they have a habit of repeating themselves you know sometimes you meet someone and uh, they seem to meet with nothing but trouble they have this repeating pattern of trouble in their lives and you got to think you know something's got to change and you, you you hope that some spiritual event will happen to people to stop a pattern that keeps on repeating and keeps on falling and, and some people then have a different kind of a pattern they have a very fortunate pattern they just seem to you know they always seem to land in the jam however they manage to do it they just seem to always be really sticky and they really get on very well in life and they just seem to have this fortunate pattern some people have a pattern of breaking up relationships other have a pattern of restoring relationships we can see lots of different patterns at work in our lives but this morning I want to talk to you about the pattern if this thing will work for me which it will I want to talk to you this morning about the pattern of provision now, you might go, listen, I've heard a million Bible verses and a million stories about God's provision in our lives, and that's okay. You're going to hear a million and one, because I want to talk about this this morning. I just feel this is the direction that God wants me to go in this morning, because I want to look at an actual pattern that appears in the Bible. And by the way, I want to say good morning to our friends down in Cafe Church. Uh, good to have you with us, guys. There'll be a couple of times you might be jumping in and out of the slideshow, but I've asked Zach to look after that. So we'll, we'll, we'll be talking to you in a few minutes. So I want to look at this pattern of provision, the specific scripture I'm going to be looking at is Genesis chapter 15 verses 12 to 15 but it won't be the only verses I'm looking at because I want to look at a pattern that appears in the the Bible I'm going to be looking at a number of different verses that are related to this related to this event and then go beyond this event so it's important so would you mind if we pray when we begin it's a good place to start isn't it let's pray let's bow our heads for a moment Lord Jesus, as we look at your word this morning, your word is living and it is active. Today, Lord, I pray that it would speak prophetically to your people and to our individual situations, Lord. Lord, that we would realize and have a greater vision of who you are and what your purpose is in our lives when we're finished today, Lord. Lord, help me as the speaker, Lord, to be articulate and to communicate what your spirit wants to say here this morning in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Okay. So there's a pattern of provision I want to look at. And I want to begin with somebody having a very troubled dream. And it's Abraham. And it's immediately after these events that I've just spoken about when he's come back from battle and God has spoken to him. 
and we're going to be looking at Abraham who's in the middle of a troubled sleep. Now, very often when we read in the Bible, it is the wicked who have troubled dreams, such as Nebuchadnezzar or, or um, Pharaoh in Egypt. These people normally have troubled dreams, but the righteous don't tend to have troubled dreams. The righteous tend to have good dreams where God speaks to them. But in this, it's a bit of a troubled dream for Abraham because God is speaking to him and he's after experiencing a very visceral event. He's after coming out of a battle. He's after uh, having a war and, and he, the, here it is in his, in, in his, in his very inner, inmost being. He's have, he has to be shaken to his very core. And so that night he falls asleep and something happens to him and God speaks to him. And the beginning of a pattern begins to happen. You see? Now does anybody know what it was that Abraham wanted more than anything else in the world? He wanted a son. He wanted descendants. That's what he wanted. More than anything else in the world. Abraham said, I'll have the kids. Thanks very much. Uh, when he had kids, maybe he thought differently of that. But at the time, he said, I want kids. And so God be- began to speak to him. So this is, the, this is the passage. Like I said, immediately after, he's just about to fall asleep. He falls asleep and something happens and God speaks to him. May God bless his word. As the sun was going down, Abraham, not yet named Abraham, fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came down over him. And the Lord said to Abraham, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. Thank you, Lord. My descendants will be oppressed for 400 years. But he goes on. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. And after four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. And as Abraham is falling asleep, We're going 6,000 years back now. He's falling asleep, perhaps in his Bedouin tent, in the middle of, in the land of Canaan, in what is the modern day Middle East. He's falling asleep. It's it's, it's a very cut and thrust existence. Life is often described as um, brutal, uh, brutish, damp and short. And that was how, a brutish, painful and short, that's how life was described in these days. Nobody lived very, very long. Well, very few people lived very long. Life was continuously, very precariously pitched on the very edge of existence. At any moment, your enemies could come over the hill and stick a sword through you and steal everything that was belonged to you. And here Abraham is lying down here and God... God makes him a promise. In actual fact, God makes him several promises. Because if you look through the passage here, first of all, he gives him a promise of descendants. In the second part, he says that those descendants will be blessed with great wealth. The third promise he makes is that Abraham will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. Now you might go, sure isn't that great? Sure Abraham was going to die at a ripe old age. If you think about what it was like to be in the mindset of a Middle Eastern patriarch, at that time, the one thing that you really would like is to die peacefully at a ripe old age, given that if you got any kind of infection at all, you were probably wiped out. So this is actually quite a powerful promise that God makes to him. And then the last promise he makes to him in these couple of passages are, after four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. But the catch point is this, this promise is for 400 years time. 
400 years time. To translate it into our modern situation, it is like you receiving a promise in the year 1619 and it being fulfilled this year. 1619, guys. Or better still, you having a promise now and it being fulfilled in the year 2419. I think it's kind of easier to go back. 400 years, he says. It's going to take 400 years to fulfill this promise. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Because, like, you might say, well, modern people are so impatient and everybody wants everything. No, everybody wanted everything. No, back then too, guys. And no matter how patient you are, 400 years is a long time after you're gone to have the promise fulfilled. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. But I would like God's promises to be fulfilled in my lifetime. Amen. 400 years, Lord says, in 400 years, I will bless your people. Eh, what about now, like? 400 years. But you, Abraham, you'll die at a ripe old age, peacefully. You'll be buried at a ripe old age. What a, I mean, the, to an ancient 6,000 years ago, these were sock-blowing promises. Unbelievable, off the, off the radar. And it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God. Can you imagine somebody coming up to you? Somebody comes up and prophesies to you this morning and says, In 400 years time, your people will own County Cork. And you go, yes, I believe it. I mean, that would take a lot of belief with respect, wouldn't it? Wouldn't take a lot of belief to believe that. But it says that Abraham believed God. But what I want to do is I want to pick up the pattern that's beginning to happen here. And I want to aim specifically at this one. It says that I will punish the nation that enslaves them, the Egyptians. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. Now, nobody leaves slavery with great wealth. It doesn't happen. People leave slavery in poverty. That's what they leave slavery in. They leave slavery with nothing. Lucky to have their lives. But he says they leave with great wealth. Now what I want to do is I want to fast forward 400 years. And we're now with Moses. And Moses is out minding the sheep. And he's down in Midian. It's all he can hear. And next thing he sees the burning bush. And the voice of God calls and says, Moses, Moses, come over here. So he goes over and he has a look at the burning bush. And God begins to speak to him. And he says to him, this is the gig, Moses. I want you to go to Egypt. You've escaped from Egypt. I want you to go back to Egypt and go to Pharaoh. You know the fellow who cuts people's heads off for entertainment. I want you to go back to him. And I want you to say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go. And Moses says, sorry, pardon what? He says, tell Moses to let, or tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And God gives him a series of promises and shows him signs he's going to do. And then he says this to him, which picks up on the Abrahamic promise. He says this. He said, I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. And they will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters in these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. Now, anybody who knows the story knows what happens next. The plagues are visited upon Egypt. And it's one punishing blow after another. Crops 
cattle, hail, frogs, gnats, thunder, darkness, flies, blood in the water, the whole nine yards is thrown at them. And then finally, this last judgment is thrown at them and it's called, it's the, the origin of the Passover. And it is the plague of the firstborn, that every firstborn of everything in Egypt died on this particular night. Now, I would have thought that that would mean that when the, the Israelites were leaving, it is compensation that the Egyptians would want from them, not the other way around. But here's what happens on that night. Flash forward to Exodus chapter 12. And when the people of Israel did as Moses Moses had instructed, they asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. Whatever they asked for. Come here, I love that red number over there. Would you mind if I took that? Yeah, the gold, would you, I just, if you wouldn't mind, i just take the gold as well. Oh, and the silver over there. I like the silver. What do you think of silver, Joshua? I like silver. I love the silver as well, please. And they just gave it to them. Go, get out of the country, go. Because these people were coming out of Israel, or coming out of Egypt, and they were going into the desert, and this was God's provision for them. He was providing for them via their neighbors. Now, what you will not read in this passage is, it's, is that it says, and as the Israelites were leaving, they found gold coins scattered all over the floor. Or suddenly there was bits of, bits of precious metal and clothes scattered everywhere. You don't see that. What you do see is that their neighbors and their former oppressors give it to them. God provides for them through someone. Someone gives it to them. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if your enemies blessed you and gave you God's blessing? Because that's exactly what happens here. Their enemies, the people they thought were going to get them, they are the people who do the provision for God's people. Isn't that powerful? Is that possible to happen in your life? Because every time God brings deliverance, and here's where we get to the pattern of it, every time God brings deliverance, he provides for his people. 400 years have passed since God said to Abraham, they will leave with great wealth. And then they do leave with great wealth. And they strip the Egyptians of their wealth. Hallelujah. What a powerful pattern. And you know, it goes on. This pattern is repeated several times. And that's the thing about patterns. They have a habit of repeating themselves, don't they? And here's the pattern being repeated. So here they have, they've left Egypt. And the neighbors have supplied effectively. The people that delivered have provided for them. Let's look at, the, let's look at an ongoing pattern. Now, not every one of these, um, they're not, in, not every situation is accounted here. But a lot of them are. Have a look at these ones. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 to 8, when Moses builds the tabernacle, he says, whoever has a heart to give, let them give. And then suddenly, without having a big hullabaloo, everything is provided for the tabernacle. And it's supplied by who? The delivered people. Here, look at this one. Ezra, chapter 1, when King Cyrus announces that they're allowed to go back and rebuild the temple, a promise that Jeremiah had announced through the Lord, or the Lord had announced through Jeremiah 70 years earlier. King Cyrus lets them go back, and, they have, and he says, whosoever heart has, is with them, let them give of cattle, or gold, or silver, or whatever they want to give, they can give. And so all the neighbors start giving to the rebuilding work, and King Cyrus himself, the guy who was the king of Babylon, he provides them as well. He gives them all the articles that were stolen from the temple of the Lord. Look at Nehemiah. Exactly the same happens again here in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 8. King Artaxerxes, another Babylonian king. 
he announces, he says, um, when, he's, when Nehemiah is going back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, he says to King Artaxerxes, is there any chance that you'd give me a letter so that I could get some timber and I could get some building goods to rebuild the temple of the wall or, the, or the, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem? And, and the king says, yeah, no problem. And he says, is there any chance you'd give me something so I can build a house for myself as well? He says, yeah, take a letter, work away. And he arrives out having been delivered and all of these people are being restored to their native land. And here the king provides for them. Look at this one in the New Testament, an interesting one. Luke, Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples. He sends out the 72. And he says to them, don't take any extra bag, don't take an extra pair of sandals, don't, uh, or, or don't take anything with you that you need. And who supplies for them? Strangers. Complete strangers. They just supply them. And he says, if anybody welcomes you into their house, go with them. And if they put some food in front of you, eat it. And later, you can read on, you read it later in Luke's gospel. Jesus says to them, he says, do you know when I sent you out with no bag and no extra sandals and no purse and all that kind of, do you remember I sent you out empty-handed? He said, did you need anything? And it says the disciples replied, no, we had everything we needed because God is well able to provide for his people. Are you any different? Are you, is anybody here would say, you know, I think I might be one of God's people. Anybody here would say that? You can put your hand up if you think you might be one of God's people. Unless you're not, that's okay. You can have an opportunity this morning to become one of God's people. Would anyone say amen? amen. Anybody recognize who this is? Come on. Who? It's not my brother. <laughs> this is Dr. Phil. To any of you, does, anybody, does everybody know who Dr. Phil is, yeah? All of the internationals saying, I haven't a clue who Dr. Phil is. Does anybody here not know who Dr. Phil is? Okay, I suggest you get, you know, cable TV or something because this guy's interesting. Right? Dr. Phil, this, I've, I want to quote something by Dr. Phil because it's very important. I know that in Cafe Church, they particularly like Dr. Phil quotes in the middle of sermons because they know that it's much more important than reading the Bible. Um, this is Dr. Phil, and Dr. Phil says something that I think we need to pay attention to, believe it or not. Uh, now, it, it isn't his original quote, but he says it all the time. He's a great guy. Have you ever, has anybody actually watched this program? He's brilliant. Like, I, well, I think he's brilliant. I, the way he just gets to the bottom line of things, and like you're sitting there going, oh, I'm glad I'm not in the chair opposite you, buddy. He just cuts people in half. He's brilliant. Like, and he, he just plays it out there so simple. Like, so why didn't you do what you were supposed to do? He's going to draw all things. But he says this, and it's true. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. <laughs> and do you know something? It's true. It's true. The best predictor of how you're going to behave in the future is how you've behaved in the past. Hallelujah. For those of you stuck in bad relationships with a boyfriend or a girlfriend who doesn't buy you flowers, I have bad news for you. <laughs> Sorry. If he likes to go with his buddies on his own, I have bad news for you. He's not going to change. Unless the power of God is upon him, would anyone say amen? You see, if you want to know what I'm going to do tomorrow, find out what I did yesterday. I guarantee I'm going to be doing kind of the same things. Do you know what I'm saying? What did I do yesterday? None of your business. But I can tell you, you can talk to my wife after this. But the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And you know what? This is true of the Lord as well. The best predictor of what God is going to do in the future is what he's done in the past. 
that's the best predictor. Has he been your provider in the past? Then he's going to be your provider in the future. You can be sure of it because he doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, the Lord your God, I'm not a man, for I do not change. He does the same things. He repeats the same behavior. And so if he provided for the people who were serving him in the past, and if he was providing for the people that he delivered in the past, then he's going to do that for us in the future. Amen? And you see, when you see the promises of God for those who serve him and those who follow him and those who obey him, and if you've ever noticed recently, the word obey has become like a dirty word. Nobody obeys anything anymore. It's like, well, I will comply. That's the new one. We, we comply with the law. We don't obey the law anymore. We we'll comply with the law because I'm an individual. I'm free not to obey if I don't want to, you know. Um, and uh, Don't start me on that. But, uh, but when we obey the Lord, when we obey the Lord, God provides for us. Amen. Like you might say, it's all of grace. And it is, it's all of grace. But there are rules and principles built in there. And when we obey the God, obey God, he blesses us. Amen? And so if you were, eh, we'll get to that in a second. But you know, we can think, that's in the big things. God provides for the great missionaries heading off to the foreign countries to preach the gospel to the heathen. Or, you know, God provides for men of vision and power. God provides them. Or, or God provides for people who start churches. Or God provides for people who go out as missionaries onto the streets of Cork. You see, you can kind of get this, head, this thing in your head. But you know, when we obey God, he blesses us. And you know how we can obey God? husbands love your wives husbands love your wives let me finish it for you as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her so allow me to re-paraphrase the verse. Selfish git of a husband. Don't be so selfish. Focus on your wife's needs. Just as Jesus focuses on yours. Amen. Husbands, love your wives. Would anyone say? Wives... Remember that word I said a while ago that I said nobody wants to use anymore? Comply with your husband's wishes. Amen. Let's close now, will we? Well, the atmosphere is still good. I love the translation that says, wives, respect your husbands. Josiah, play the angel music again, will you, quick? That's obeying the Lord, brothers and sisters. Children, obey your parents. Would any parents say amen? amen? Any broken parent like me say amen? I have a Bible verse for you. I'm not reading it, Dad. I'll read it to you. I'm not listening, Dad. Not that conversation ever happened in my house, of course, but... We think it's the big things, but it's the small things, brothers and sisters. Love one another. Amen. Amen. Because we all know how hard it is to love one another. Isn't it? Not me, like I'm, a nice, I'm easy to love, aren't I? Come on, guys. Help me out here. 
Amen. Dara, I love you too. And you're easy to love, girl. Anyway, moving swiftly on. We think it's the big things. It's like, I am going to reach Gangwanga land for Jesus. No, it isn't. It's husbands obey your wives. Amen. <laughs> I got you. You weren't even listening, lads. You weren't even listening. I give up. No, I'm They don't even listen anymore. It's the small things, brothers and sisters. It's the small things. And you know, if you do the small things, God looks after the big things. Amen. Amen. If you want to live a blessed life, a life that's provided for, just obey God in the small things. Because all the small things add up to make one very big thing. And that big thing is called a life of service and love and honoring God. Here's what C.H. Spurgeon said. He said, God is a good paymaster. He pays his servants while at work as well as when they have done it. Hallelujah. So he's your provider while you work. And when you've done it, there's a great reward. But let me come to this last. This is, this is just specifically, I suppose, for this morning. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 25, and you're going, oh no, that old, old Bible book. There's, a, there's an interesting challenge to the children of Israel, and I think it could be an interesting challenge for us this morning. And when I'm talking about needs, by the way, I'm talking about all of our needs. He knows all of our needs. I have needs, you have needs, we all have needs. It's all of our needs. God is interested in all of our needs. But here's an interesting challenge, and I found this one to be an interesting challenge just as we come to, towards a close this morning. Um, this is what I call the test of rest. In Leviticus chapter 25, the Lord is speaking to the children of Israel. They haven't yet gotten into Canaan. And he says to them this. He says, every seven years, I want you to let the land rest. Every seven years, don't plant anything. Don't plant anything and don't do the usual reaping. No usual reaping and sowing. No pursuing the crops. I want you to let the land rest. You're going to let the land rest? Yeah, you're cutting me or what? He wants them to let the land rest. Now, remember, this is an agrarian culture. You didn't eat. You didn't go to Tesco in Tel Aviv back in these days. You didn't go to Mrs. Methuselah's sweet shop down the road and get a can of beans that night if you wanted something to eat. You ate what grew in the fields and that you harvested it and you stored it and then you ate that during the, during the winter. That's, that's how it worked, okay? And the next crop came around. And that's what you did. That's, that, that, that's how you lived. It was an agrarian culture. So he said to them, but every seven years, I don't want you to obey the agrarian culture. I want you to obey me. Every seven years, let the land rest. And then he actually, the Lord poses this question. And he says, but you might ask, what will we eat, by the way, during the seventh year, since we're not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year? Now, you might think this is a small thing, but this is a huge challenge. This is like one of you, any one of you, with a mortgage and a car loan or a, you know, a, a, a home improvement loan or a holiday loan. And, and the Lord says to you, well, you know, at the end of the sixth year, I want you to take a year off. But what about my debts, Lord? How am I going to pay my debts? Well, I want you to take a year off. I, want, I mean, I would be all in favor of this, by the way. I'd love a year off every seven years. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? You think, but then, of course, you can't get a mortgage because when you tell the mortgage, it's, yes, but in six years' time, I'm taking a year off. And they go, well, you're not getting a mortgage off of me. 
You won't be buying a house or buying a car or buying any of those things, but you know, you're, you're welcome to enjoy your year off. And so there was a challenge to their own power and ability to provide. And you've got to get your head into this agrarian mindset. To us, this is like, eh, they didn't sow, they didn't reap. That's because most of us don't sow and reap. We go down to the shop and we buy this stuff. But these people were totally infused with this way of living. It was their only source of provision, as far as they understood. And the Lord, and they said, but what are we going to eat? Like, hello, like if it's not in the field. And this is what God's promise to them was. He says, be assured that I will send my blessing for you in the sixth year. So the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. When you plant your fields in the eighth year, you will still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. In fact, you will still be eating from the large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. You'll still be eating. That if you obey me, I will bless you so much in advance because you're going to obey me that there's going to be plenty for you all through the period when you think you're not going to have anything. But it will only happen if you obey me and you don't work on the seventh year. Ah! Because if it was me, I'd get to the end of six years and go, what a huge bumper harvest. If I work next year, I can make a bonus. And that's exactly what they started to do. That's exactly what they started to do. They said, eh, forget about the seventh year break. Ah, Moses wasn't listening properly that day. But when you get to the prophets, or you get to later in Leviticus, this is what the Lord says. He says, I'll tell you something. If you don't obey this rule, simple rule, if you don't obey this rule, then I will make sure I drag you out of this land, and then the land will get the rest it needs. And that's exactly what the prophets begin to say. Isaiah and Jeremiah begin to say things like, no, you're gone, guys. You didn't give the land rest. The Lord just said to you, let the land rest once every seven years. And you didn't do it. Because it's a huge challenge to us. Because the big question, believe it or not, the big question that pervades all of economic thought and all, especially of Western societies, and for no reason really, is will there be enough? And so we keep on accumulating, accumulating, accumulating because we're afraid that there won't be enough. And the Lord says, there will be enough. Hallelujah. There will be enough. The Lord is your provider this morning. He's been doing it since the time of Abraham and before that he has set the whole process in train and whatever your need is, maybe you're doing just fine and comfortable, praise the Lord, but maybe you have another need this morning. You want to say, Lord, what about this need? I acknowledge that you are my provider. Amen. Let me finish with this passage. Paul, he's sitting in a dungeon. He's sitting in a dungeon in Rome and he's writing to the Philippian church. And he's telling him to rejoice all the time. And he's telling him, you know, to keep happy. He's telling him to be joyful in the Lord despite the circumstances that they're in. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Give thanks always. And give your cares to God. And let the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds. And he keeps on saying this to them. And then in the end, he reminds me, he says, you sent me a great gift. Now, you've got to remember the context for this verse is really important. He said, lads, you sent me a gift. You sent me way more than I needed. You have blessed me with this gift. Now, the gift in the context is he's in jail, by the way. He can't earn his own living. And the church look after him. And they send him a gift. And then he says this at the end of this passage. He says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his 
glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. They have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Praise God. But what was the context? They had given first. They had given generously first. They had obeyed God by loving Paul, by supplying for his needs, and then God blessed them. The sowing and reaping principle kicks in, but it's the very last piece that's the important part. He says that he will supply all our needs according to his, from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. That's why they've been given to us. Not because we're nice fellas or nice girls or because we're lovely people. They've been given to us because we're in Christ Jesus. Because we're in Christ Jesus. Because we're in Christ Jesus. That's why God's blessing was being poured into their lives. That's why they were able to, that's why Paul was able to say, I guarantee you, God's going to look after you. So have you got a need this morning? Has anybody here got a need this morning? Because I want to see, I want, I want all my needs taken care of with the glorious riches that are in Jesus Christ. And they're not always material needs. I've got other needs. You've got other needs. You've got other wants and desires and longings, perhaps many that God has put on your heart. I want us to pray this morning that we would acknowledge that God is the provider of all our needs. And maybe just to bring those needs again before the Lord this morning. Are you up to doing that? Will we stand? Can I get the band up? Guys, you're going to play us. You know, we might sing. From the song, Beautiful Name, you have no rival, you have no equal. You might start off with, death could not hold you, the veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. We're going to sing from that, those verses in just a second. But you know, there's a, there's a couple of things going on here. One is that Abraham made a promise for his future. Oh, God made Abraham a promise for his future. And though it was a future, sorry Steve, that it was a future that he probably couldn't see. It was so far off, 400 years. None of us can see or know what's happening in 400 years. But it was a promise to his descendants. Wouldn't it be wonderful to think that in the year 2419, our descendants would still be walking with Jesus? Wouldn't that be powerful? Wouldn't that be a thought like, wow, seriously? I mean, I'm a first-generation Christian. The people before me probably didn't walk with Jesus, though there must have been some Christians back along the way praying for my bitter soul. You know, sometimes God makes us a promise for the future. We need a vision for our future. We need a vision for our future. Because God holds our future. Would anyone say amen? Have you, let's close our eyes for a second. Let's close our eyes for a second. Have you got a need this morning? Have you got a need? It's not necessarily a financial need. Maybe you're doing fine, but maybe it is. Maybe it's a material need. You've got a material need. Maybe you need a home. Maybe you need transport. I, I don't know. I don't know what your need is. Maybe you need fees for something. I don't know. Have you got a need this morning? Maybe it's an emotional need. Maybe it's a psychological need. Maybe you need a break. If you've got a need this morning, you want to bring it before the Lord. Will you raise your hand? Do you know what you do when you raise your hands before God? You say, Lord, I have a need acknowledge that it's in his hands you acknowledge that God is your provider that he is the one who is providing for your needs when you raise your hands you're humbling yourself and say Lord I can't solve or resolve or fix all of my own problems I need you Lord I need you I need your work in my life we're going to pray for those needs
going to sing the line. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. What a powerful name it is. And I'm going to invite you. If you raised your hand, will you come to the front? Let's pray. Let's bring this, bring these needs of ours sincerely before God, who is our provider. Let's bring them before God and bring our hearts and lives before God as we sing.
situation. God told me to pay for your soul's care damage. That's, that wasn't my motivation in telling this guy. I was, going, I was like, we were like comparing bad weeks and that kind of way. But God always provides. He always shows up. He always shows up. If your need this morning, let's close our eyes. If your need this morning is a material need, will you raise your hands? for medical situations. Lord, would you provide for them in Jesus' name? Lord, for those this morning who just need to pay next month's rent, would you be their provider in Jesus' name? Lord, would you provide for them like you've provided for me time and time and time and time again, Lord? I know I can stand on this promise, Lord. Lord, that you are our provider, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that even this week doors would open that that men have shut, Lord. I pray this week, Lord, that the favor of God will rest upon your people, Lord, that they will know your provision in every way, Lord. For those specifically, Lord, who have a financial or a material need this morning, Lord, we come before you and we humbly acknowledge that you are our provider and you are the one who supplies us, Lord. And Lord, today our choice is not to worry, but to bring it before you, Lord. Lord, we want to leave it at your feet this morning, Lord, and to walk away with expectant hearts, looking, Lord, knowing that the best indicator of the future is the past, Lord, knowing that what you've done in the past for your people, for generation after generation after generation, you will do again. I want to pray for the the second promise of Abraham. The Lord promised Abraham descendants, but I want to talk about relationships. If your need this morning is relational, with every eye closed, would you raise your hand if it's a relational issue? Maybe it's a, your need is to resolve a matter. Maybe it's to meet someone. I don't know. Whatever it is. I just want to pray for that this morning. I want to pray for relational needs. Lord Jesus, you know, because you have formed us, Lord, that we are emotional and we are relational and we are physical, Lord. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would hear our cry, Lord. For some people whose hands are up this morning, Lord, I know that it's a a fight, Lord, that they just need to resolve, Lord, that they need to get resolution from a a, a relational battle. For other people, Lord, they long to meet the, the man or the woman of their dreams, Lord. I just pray that you would move upon all of these brothers and sisters, Lord, and remind them, Lord, that it's long, Lord Jesus, Lord, that you remind them, Lord, Lord, that you your their needs are close to your heart, Lord Jesus that their needs are close to your heart, Lord, that you have always been interested in relationship. You are the God who created community. You are the God who designed human community or the divine community in which you live, Lord Jesus. We pray for our brothers and sisters that you would move upon them and hear their prayer in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. If your need this morning is health, anybody got a health need this morning? If that's your need, will you raise your hands? Abraham, the Lord promised Abraham, he said, you will die in peace at a ripe old age. That's God's voice to you this morning. You will die in peace at a ripe old age. When your years are full, hallelujah. When your 
ears are full Lord I pray for full healing and full wholeness for all of your of all of your children today Lord for all of my brothers and sisters Lord I pray that their bodies will function exactly as you intended them to function Lord Jesus I pray Lord God that you would move upon them Lord Jesus I pray Lord you would touch them physically even now Lord by your Holy Spirit Lord Lord that the promise to, to Abraham which is this morning a promise to them would be fulfilled in completeness in Jesus name if you have any other need whether you're here or down below would you raise your hands this morning see the birds of the air they don't sow or reap or stow away into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, Jesus said. Lord, we bring all of our needs before you, Lord. Relational, emotional, material, physical. Lord, we bring all of our needs, our spiritual needs before you this morning, Lord. There are some here who need a spiritual breakthrough, Lord. We bring them all before you, Lord, because you are the source. You are the source of all of our life. You are the source of all of our provision. You are the source of the breath in our lungs. You are the source of our beating hearts, Lord. You are the source, Lord God, of our futures. Lord, we commit our future into your hands this morning. Can we all raise our hands? We'll do, we'll do the closing prayer. No, see, we're all here. Let's raise our hands. Lord, we commit our futures into your hand, Lord. As you were able to promise Abraham for 400 years, Lord, we bring the next week before you, Lord. And ask you, Lord, would you meet with us and would you bless us and would you hear our cry? Lord, would you meet the needs of your people, Lord? Lord, we lift our prayer requests before you again. We humbly ask you, Lord, show yourself to be God our provider in our lives, in every way, in every day, this week, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you, brothers and sisters. The guys are going to play us out with the song, Beautiful Name. They're going to come in. We're going to declare it again as we go. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs. If you want to stay with us for a while, serving tea and coffee upstairs. Other than that, we're here again next Tuesday night. We're starting at 12 noon. God bless you and go with your brothers and sisters over to the back.